When I talk to a business owner and they say, hey, look at my income statement or look at my P&L, look how profitable we are, but where's all my cash? I say, okay, are your financials accurate? And a lot of times they may or may not be. A lot of construction companies, the jobs can be high dollar jobs. Revenue sounds appealing and it's exciting, but if you're not bidding the job the right way, if you don't understand that if you're profitable, uh, you can run yourself out of business pretty quickly. Less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor interview. Martin, I want to hear what the text is that you got this morning before we got started. <laughs> well, it's coincidental, but uh, we're going to be talking about three or four subjects today. And one of my newest clients texted me five minutes before we got on. And I told him I'm having a discussion on a podcast about this very subject. Got to go. <laughs> Talk to you later. Uh, but I, without naming him or even telling what state or business he's in, he's just a, an absolutely perfect example that I'd like to go to in a minute okay. here. Well, we will jump to that. Uh, we have uh, our guest Jason on. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks, guys. Glad to be on. Yeah. Um, we're going to, we'll let you introduce yourself a little bit, um, uh, towards the end, but for listeners, Jason is a wonderful business person in the financial arena. He has over 70 employees that are accountant based employees and help with fractional CFO roles, controller roles, and getting things straightened out. Today, we're going to be talking about why your financials aren't accurate. We're going to go deep into the details of why this happens in construction companies specifically. This is going to be a big lesson for me because I am very um, immature in this area of, of business for construction companies. But I've learned a lot through Martin. I'm excited to learn more through Jason today. So I'll ask the silly questions, but I'll let you guys go in at a, at a deep level. Um, let's just start really fast, Jason. Like, why do your... Why do financials matter so much to a construction company? Yeah, I mean, well, the obvious point is, you, you know, you have to be, you have to make sure you're making a profit, right? Um, construction, uh, a lot of construction companies, the, the jobs can be high dollar jobs. Revenue sounds appealing and it's exciting. Uh, but if you're not bidding the job the right way, if you don't understand that if you're profitable, uh, you can run yourself out of business pretty quickly, right? Um, so, so that's, yeah. that's the, the highest level. And then obviously breaking down and probably the discussion that that Barton was having with his colleague earlier is how do I how do I have a little bit more visibility? How can I use that information to be able to make decisions as I look forward versus, you know, running by, you know, just the the inherent knowledge I've gathered over the last number of years in the industry. And I think a big challenge with uh, owners in this space is that, you know, they grew up in the space, they know how to do the work, they knew how to do to, uh, to, to produce a quality, uh, to, to run a quality project, to produce, produce quality work. Um, but their experience isn't in finance and accounting. And, and as a business owner, you need to start to learn really all aspects of your business and build that infrastructure to support the growth and the vision that you have for your company. Mm. Sounds like I'm, I'm hearing Martin. Um, Sounds like uh, we're brethren. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Almost. For sure. Yeah, I, I always say if you don't have good books, uh, with which to make decisions, you're, it's kind of like driving forward, looking in the rear view right. mirror of your car. Yeah. And 
and that's even presuming that you right. have a rearview yeah, mirror. So, a lot of times, sometimes the rearview mirror that. is you know right. uh, cash on hand, and and then you run out of cash, right? And then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, how do I make payroll? Yeah, yeah. Right? and a mental uh, a mental list of uh, who owes you what, and approximately how much I owe, and oh yeah, I forgot this, and oh yeah, that guy didn't pay, and pretty soon you're. Yeah. Right. In a disaster. Right. Well, and I, I think you don't know what you don't know. And I think there's a lot of listeners that think they do have accurate financials, uh, but they don't know what they don't know. And so uh, maybe this will help. You know, the goal of this podcast really is to help contractors understand the most common pitfalls that they're going to that they're going to face in keeping their financials accurate. And so maybe you will resonate with a few of these things today and it'll start to change the way that you look at your books at the end of the day. There's a reason why people like Jason are out there is because you can't do it all. And so we always talk about having trusted advisors um, on your team that you outsource things to, that you trust, that you learn from, and that you lean on to be able to be the best business person you can. So let's jump into the first one, um, WIP reports, work in progress. What is it? Why does it matter? Let's, or Martin, do you want to go a different direction? Let, yeah, let's, let's go back before okay. that just a little bit uh, of the most common problem that I see is just like Jason said, you need accurate financials. Did I make money or did I not make money? Now that's, that's the first question. Then there are a lot of cash questions and others going along with it. What are my margins? If my margins are insufficient, what can I do about it? That's where you get a lot of management expertise. You say, I want my margins to go up 1%. And I mean, for like 40% to okay. 41%, how can I do it? All of a sudden you now have clarity. Oh, the guys don't leave the shop on time or, Oh, we're wasting material or, oh, we make trips to the supply house, all of these things. So it points you, having good books gives you that kind of information. Mm -hmm. And the thing that we're talking about today, I think one of the great, uh, the topic of today is most businesses, and Jason, I'll let you speak to your experience, but I'm going to say 90% of the 10 million and less contractors I deal with. $10 million sales and, and less do not have books sufficient to make good yep. business decisions. Yep. Okay. Lots of reasons for that. And we'll go into them, but even if they keep the books, there are some really common things that throw them off and make them inaccurate. And that's one thing mm -hmm. I want to talk to you about today. I th think I already mentioned it, right? That I was texting with a new client that has been with me about two months um, he's in another state when he mentioned his industry, but he sent me his financials when we first met and his net profit was 50% of sales. It was 49.5% mm -hmm. of sales, which is yeah. really, really good. Right. That, that means you sell a million, you take home a half right. a million before tax. Right. So I'm going, huh? He said, well, my bank accounts all reconcile and all this kind of stuff. I said, well, Let's get on and get on board and all this, and we'll take a look at it. Well, I quickly found that what happened was he had invoiced an entire very large job yep. completely in December. Let's call it 400000 That's not exactly right. And had done about 200000 of the work, but he had $400,000 showing yep. up in sales. He hadn't done the work. That'll right? skew your margin. Uh, so that's one thing that happens and and we'll just I'll, I'll list these and we'll go through them again. But that's that's one thing: matching the invoice with the cost, right? Another uh, way of matching comes in is people get deposits 
even if it wasn't an invoice. They get a deposit and they put it in the bank and yep. call it sales. Well, it's not sales. Right. That's not your money, right? Because you you haven't incurred any expenses against it. That's the other side of it. People go out and buy some stuff. You buy a bunch of mechanical equipment, electrician, buy out the whole rig and the lighting package, and they put it in cost of goods sold, which is an expense. Yep. They don't have any revenue. So one month they've got billing that came in, not billing, but they've got deposits that came in way overshadowed costs. Next month they got a bunch of costs and no revenue. So what I hear all the time is roller coaster profits. Guy looks, he goes, oh man, you know, we made $400,000 yeah. last month. And then the next month we're, we're 200,000 down for the yeah. year. What's going on? So those being two things, cash deposits, work in process, inventory, and uh, I'm trying to think, Mapping, uh, cost yeah. of goods sold, yeah. whip. I, so, so trying to get good books is the issue. And how can we do that? Because it's well beyond most individual business yeah. owners. Figure the out the other challenge do. too is what, so, what you mentioned is you, your colleague who is showing 50% bottom line, uh, now they're they're when they file their taxes, they're paying taxes on that. And so now they're actually paying more taxes than what they should be paying yeah. because they're showing more profit than they really have. And so a lot of times, you know, owners they don't realize, right. okay, well, hopefully, you know, I'm I'm paying the right amount of taxes, uh, you know, at one point. And so now you're you're just giving the government right. more money than you should be. Yeah, if they're paying on the accrual yep. basis. Uh the other side of this guy though is we haven't looked so far this year. But this being January, he's going to have big losses because he booked the income right. last year and now he's got all yep. the expense coming in January and February this year. So, you know, guys like that, I don't blame them. They say, I don't look at my books because they don't yeah. make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. And because they don't make any sense, because they're not done properly, they can't do all the things that you can do if you understand your yep. margins <clears throat> and what your break even is and what it takes to pay. So. Anyway, if you want to yeah. choose one of those subjects, maybe cash deposits and talk about how they should be handled, then we can talk about where. Sure. Let's start with the whip. Yeah, okay. So what, it, what is work in progress? Why is it significant to construction yep. accounting specifically? Sure. Um, I want to add one thing to what you said, Martin, is that when you have, and I'll, I'll get into whip real quick, is when you have the roller coaster of numbers, it's already challenging enough to get bank, a banking relationship as a general contractor or in construction. Um, mm -hmm. But- it's impossible. It's nearly impossible if you're showing numbers like that, right? If you give the bank numbers that yeah. you could, that they can trust and with consistency, um, you have, there's, there's options out there for financing, but if you're not using your numbers, if you don't have confidence in them, the bank won't, you won't be able to do right. that. So, so that's another, you know, direction there as well. But from a whip report, you know, we talk about the work in progress. I mean, I, I look at the whip report as in, in the construction industry as, you know, the Bible or the, the source of truth, right? Of, of really what's happening with your, with your business. If you don't have anything else, um, you can run your business pretty fairly effectively uh, with, you know, and understand your jobs and your job costing with a WIP report. And the WIP report is really what helps you uh, to define and develop accrual-based financials, like you were talking about, Martin. Um, it really gives you a visibility into, um, you know, <clears throat> from its basic level, it's a one, one page, it's got a, a number of columns going across, uh, you have uh, an understanding of what the original contract value is, and then your costs associated with completing the contract. 
um, so that upfront you should have a good visibility into what your estimated profits will be uh, upfront. That then and what your margin should be. So now upfront you have an understanding. Okay, before I even start, here's what my bid is. Here's what my cost should be. And now man, now I can manage against that, and I can track my costs uh, against my you know my budget. Uh, that I hopefully have on a job by job basis, um, number one, and then I can also track my billings um, that I build to the client. Uh, my, uh, in some cases, I have obviously I've I build in excess. You have a couple columns: build in excess of of costs and cost in excess of billings. Um, so you you're able to track all of that, and then from a profitability perspective, most construction companies on a percentage completion method. And what that means is um, I recognize revenue, not when I receive the cash, like in Martin's example, but if I have a million dollar contract and I'm uh, 20% complete with that contract, I'll recognize uh, 20% of the revenue. So I'll recognize $200,000 at that point in time. It doesn't matter how much I've invoiced, doesn't matter how much I've collected or not collected, that is my revenue, um, and that's how I record that. And my costs then should align with that revenue, so that on a month, uh, let's say, make the example easy, uh, two hundred thousand uh, dollars. I've incurred, you know, one hundred fifty thousand dollars in cost. I know that month uh, I was fifty thousand dollars profitable in that month. Obviously, things can get a little bit more complex with change orders and those types of things, and um, but it should allow you to manage the cost of on your engagement so that or on your project so that you can control and see into the future. If you see, OK, hey, this is getting a little bit out of hand. There's some changes going on here. This may impact the profitability of my engagement. What decisions do I need to make to be able to, uh, uh, you know, to be able to improve or, or impact this for the better? Um, but this is, uh, I mean, that is the simplest form of, hey, a good contractor is constantly looking at that on a, at a minimum, probably a weekly basis saying, okay, where are my jobs moving? How, how am I, how successful are they? Am I maintaining my margins that I expected going into this? Uh, and it's just, it's a, it's a critical, critical tool for, for all contractors. Yeah. And I, I think the uh, contrast, I know listeners that I'm thinking of, where would that money be? And the distortion would be, Hey, I got paid 20% and I just, or I got paid yep. 50%. I took draws and yeah. they, they covered them and I put it yep. all in income. And then again, okay. on what I spent for labor and materials, I put that all yep. in an expense, but they're not correlated right. with each other. So you don't really know. And, and, uh, yeah, whip is a critical component that keeps you matched up for a period. What percentage of people that you encounter in contractors um, keep keep track of WIP? And yeah, it's um, for the smaller contractors. It's challenging because the accounting tools out there, a lot of the, several of the softwares out there, they don't have. They're not able to effectively that are being used don't effectively generate a, a good WIP report that spits you, spits it out. You know, nice nice and pretty for you. So um, a lot of contractors they they develop their own through Excel if they can. Um, a lot of contractors that you mentioned in 10 million and under, uh, they're not even, they don't have that. They're just kind of, uh, using the gut check, gut check on mm -hmm. how jobs are going. Right. 
And and you you can get yeah. away with that if you only have a, a couple of jobs going. But once you have a handful of jobs and significant volume of jobs, it's just that just can't be done. And and to your point, Martin, um, if you're doing this effectively, it evens out your financial performance over the year, and it creates that consistency. So you can truly evaluate the performance of your business instead of that roller coaster of ups and downs based on when you collect the cash, when you make payments, et cetera. And so then you get a true picture. You can understand the trends of your business, where you're at. You mentioned margin before. I love margin and talking about margin and how important that is. 1% margin on a $10 million business, a difference, that is $100,000, right? So 1% margin, if you improve your overall company performance by 1%, that $100,000 drops straight to the bottom line. For a contractor, for a business owner, that goes right in your pocket, right? Or that gives you the ability to reinvest back into the business, hire an you know, additional uh, individual, uh, superintendent, whatever you may want to do. But uh, margin and understanding your margin and, and having... You know, what is your goal? How do I maximize that is so critical. Um, you know, a lot of times I'll see individuals will say, hey, what are your margins? Well, you know, it's around 40 to 45% or 38 to 35. Well, is it 30 or is it 35? Because that's a huge, that can be a big difference, right? So yeah, I like actually, to get down yeah. to even the percentage point. And sometimes you're even breaking it down even beyond and that. Is it? Uh, oh, man, we're blood brothers. <laughs> no, the, the other side of that is, well, first of all, I, I like to go into the bidding process with every mm -hmm. new client I have. And a lot of times they don't bid by paying yeah. attention to margins. They bid some formula they've got. And I use $250 per cubic yard and so much. I go, no, yeah. what are your costs? And divided by one minus your margin, that's your bid, yeah. unless you can beat it, you know, <laughs> you can go up. Uh, but one of the stats that I throw out all the time, I say the average company, and this is pretty close to average contractor, has a 35% margin, makes 7% mm -hmm. to the bottom line. That's real common. If you can improve your margins 1%, you'll increase your net profit yep. 15%. Exactly. Yep. That's the math, what you just talked about. If, if, you, uh, if you can increase your sales 20% and hold your uh, overhead the same, you'll double yep. your net profit. And when guys hear numbers like that, they say, well, wait a minute, I can yeah. do that. 1%. It's only 1%. Oh, no, it's it's 15% yeah. of what you made. Yeah. And it's it's right? also, uh, so, anyway. But the key, though, is to be able to understand and, and be able to to ensure you have accuracy in how you're in the numbers in the first place, right? What, so, what your real margin so if you're looking at your numbers and say, well, yeah. it's 35%, well, you got to have confidence it is because now if you're <clears throat> you're making decisions to impact that, you have to be able to, to be able to track and understand how you're doing that. And, and that's, that's a critical right. point. It's, it's so true right. that profitability is more, I, you know, I talk to business owners all the time and they're all revenue, 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 and that's great. And a lot of it depends on what your ultimate goals are, how your business might be valued, those types of things. But the key is to run a profitable business if you can as well. And if you can squeak out an additional percentage point in margin or even more than that, uh, that allows you to reinvest back in the business if you want to. Allows you to take home more cash as a business owner if you want to. Um, it's, it makes a big, big difference. Yeah, and if you're looking at selling your company and maybe a four or five multiple, it's you save a hundred thousand dollars, increase your net. You just added five five hundred thousand to your 
yep. uh, net worth, you know, in valuation. Not not that simple, but yeah. that's still the yeah. way to, yeah. to think about. So I want to want to back up a little bit, Martin. Um, so I've never looked at a whip report myself, right? What you know, it it doesn't sound too complicated, but it also sounds kind of mysterious. So kind of give me an example, and we'll put one in the show notes. We'll grab one from online and, and put it in there for people to look at if they haven't seen one. What's a good whip report look like? What are the numbers you're going to be tracking and seeing? Is it custom? Is it fairly straightforward and standard? Kind of give me the rundown of that. Sure. Uh, a basic whip report. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of firms will do it even in Excel if they if they have to. A good software system will will produce that based on the inputs uh, into the system. But a lot of contractors, especially on the smaller end, they don't have the the resources to produce, you know, to, to invest in that level of a, a system. Uh, but in its simplest form, you have on the left side uh, rows, you have your jobs. So you have each job listed on the left side stacked. And then across the top on the columns, uh, you have, you know, you start with what's our, what's our total contract value? Um, what's the job? What's the revenue we're expecting on this job as a, as a whole? Um, so if it's a million dollar job, we're expecting a million dollars in this revenue. What are, and then the next line would be, what's our expected cost uh, to uh, incurred to, you know, to complete this job? So let's say it's 800,000. We're expecting a 20% margin on this job. Uh, let's say, uh, and so then the two, you minus the two and you can see your estimated profit. And then, so that, that's the, that's the, the ba that's the starting point. From there, then as the job starts, you have, you start, you're tracking your cost to date. And that's why it's so important to be looking at this on a weekly basis versus a monthly basis, depending on how fast the jobs are going. In some cases you be, need to be looking at this on a daily basis, depending on, you know, the, the type of job that you're incurring. And so you're, you're tracking then next to that, the total cost to date. So let's say the job's going to be a 10 month process. You've, uh, you've, you're two months in and you're tracking your costs at that point. Um, now at that point you can say, okay, based on the job, uh, costs, if, if we're continuing to be on budget, we can understand, uh, sorry, based on the job costs, uh, let's say it's a $800,000 cost and we've, uh, we've incurred $200,000 in the total job costs of 800. We've incurred 200. We're about 25% done with the job, uh, assuming that we're still on track and we feel we're still on track. So now you can understand that based on the profits that we estimated that we were going to make, we can calculate what our profits were. Uh, and we can also calculate what our revenue should be at that point in time too. And that is what you see on the far right side of the WIP report is your cost to date, the profit you've earned to date, uh, your percentage completion. And then you're also tracking how much you've billed uh, for the job. Uh, and if you've billed more than what you've incurred, or if you uh, are behind and you've incurred costs in excess of what you build as well. And that basically covers the entire mm -hmm. rip, rip report. And that's why it's so powerful because you can see what the job should be, what your profit margin should be, and you can see where you are at any point in time. And then you also can see um, where your billings are on the engagement. Really? You know, the idea of of uh, tracking costs uh, sounds pretty daunting. 
So you're tracking your payroll and you're allocating. If you got five jobs going, this crew, these guys were at this job and you're managing that. Somebody is saying this labor went to this job. That's right. Correct. Yeah. So that's the other challenging part is less sophisticated, smaller uh, firms or contractors or construction firms. It's, it can be more challenging to track uh, time and labor and where the team is uh, to, to appropriately allocate those costs to specific jobs. So it's important to, to develop a process to be able to do that. And when you have people that are out in the field, um, probably less sophisticated than you are, uh, that can be challenging sometimes to get, you know, sometimes you feel like you're herding cats a little bit, but having a good process in place is, is critical to be able to, to, to get that information. Yeah. Um, a couple of things that I I've seen it inside of builder trend. I personally have never helped anybody set it up in builder trend, uh, popular project management software for construction companies. Mm -hmm. I know it integrates directly with QuickBooks. Um, and so if you are a listener and you're using builder trend and you're doing works in progress through builder trend with your integration in QuickBooks, we'd love to hear from you and, yeah. and see more and learn more about yep. that. I've also heard about in kind of doing some research for this episode, Noify. Um, I have no idea if it's quality. They talk a big game and have great testimonials on their website and videos of electricians and stuff talking about things, but um, they integrate directly with QuickBooks as well and give you kind of a dashboard view and, mm -hmm. and whip reports. Um, and it, for, for listeners that don't understand how much these things cost, separate from your QuickBooks um, subscriptions that you pay, Noify it looks like is around $200 a month, roughly, uh, which seems reasonable if you're going to be given really good whip reports. Um, and then builder trend, uh, the pricing varies, but I know that you can get in for as little as a hundred bucks. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if that includes the whip reports, but I think on the high end, you're looking at three, 400. I know builder trend also gives you a lot more information than just a whip report. You can actually manage your entire projects, pay your subs, all that kind of stuff through builder trend. Mm -hmm. Um, a little bit of a hard user interface to work with, but it works. So, um, moving on from there, uh, I think the whip reports is great dashboard view of exactly what you are looking at on a job and what's real, not just what's in your head, not just what you think is happening or you're assuming is happening, but you know, it's, it's your scorecard. Uh, mm -hmm. on that project. So yeah. um, let's talk about customer cash deposits. This is a big one that you wanted to talk about, Martin. Why don't you give some context for us? Well, uh, it would fit if you're doing WIP and a whole lot of things correctly, it might cover this. But as a separate subject, it happens all the time. People get deposits. Mm -hmm. uh, it might be 10%, might be 30%, might be $5,000, might be $50,000. And what they do with it is give it to their bookkeeper who puts it in the bank and maybe writes an invoice and receives it against the invoice and becomes part of sales. And the problem with that is the fact that you received a, uh, a deposit is not right. sales. I mean, it's going to turn into sales at the point that you've earned it. So it overstates. It's just further complication. This is all, all goes together in matching. Like, but I see it all the time. Uh, and it's basically what happened with the guy I was talking about earlier who made 49% to the bottom line. He just got deposits, yep. right? Put them in sales. Woohoo. Had a great year, but he's not going to be happy yeah. next year <laughs> unless he repeats it at a higher level. So yeah. What, what, where should uh, deposits? Yeah. Go? So, I mean, you're exactly right, Martin, that if you're, if you're 
if you're producing a good WIP report, it should flesh this out from a profitability, job profitability perspective. Um, but deposits are, are basically a liability um, because you haven't earned that. You haven't earned that cash yet. So you, you don't, you're not, you should not, it's not appropriate to be calling that revenue until you've really earned that by performing the job. And so uh, the deposit will be earned when the job is done. It depends on how you bill. Uh, maybe earned up front, maybe the deposit, maybe at the end, there's some deposit that you have to return at some point. Um, but the deposit uh, initially goes on the balance sheet. And I know the balance sheet can be a scary thing, but what I will say is that if the balance sheet is not accurate, your, your profit loss or your income statement is not accurate. And those two things go hand in hand. So if you're just looking at your income statement and saying, Hey, look at, look at, here's my, here's my numbers. And you say, well, I don't, I don't know how the balance sheet works. I don't understand that. There's, there's big risk that, um, again, your income statement may not be accurate. Uh, to Martin's point, as an example, if you put deposits uh, in revenue, your revenue is overstated and deposits really should be on the balance sheet as a liability to the company because you haven't earned that yet. And, and that, that's the biggest point is revenue should be what you've earned and done the work on and completed. And the cost of, of performing that work should both be recorded in the same period. So in the same month, and if you're doing that consistently, you have consistency across the, the, the months of the business and the years of the business, you can see trends, you can see what your margins are. You can start to make decisions to improve those margins. And then when you have discussions with a third party, not only somebody like Martin, but a third party, like uh, a potential new investor or partner or a bank, a banking relationship, a, a bonding company. company. I was um, going to say that. What's the first thing Absolutely. that those, all of those individuals are going to ask for? Let me see your financials, right? And if you're providing, if you're hitting print on QuickBooks and you're sending that out, uh, you're, you're giving them, that's the story you're giving them. So it's better mm -hmm. to control the story, make sure you have good information, Make sure it's credible. Make sure it's in the right, a good format that tells the right story of the business and makes you look credible in the, at the same time. And, and that in and of itself and having that knowledge base and be able to speak to financials, uh, well, it's amazing how much easier it is to get capital in that situation versus, um, I'm trying to get financing of some level or bonding company and. Oh, I have a bookkeeper. You go, you know, here, you know, talk to my bookkeeper. They'll help you. Nine times out of 10, you're not going to get the result you need or want. Hmm. Right. And I want to go through a really quick scenario of the cash deposits. Like, let's just play it out. Right. So let's say we are a um, home builder and we think that it's going to take us seven months or maybe the, let's use the easier number, six months uh, to finish building this custom home and we get a cash deposit for 50% upfront. How do I, what's the best way to handle that? Yep. Uh, so you take that, you put the money in the bank, which is great, um, but you also have to understand that's not my money. Um, so the first thing is, there's a couple of things. One, you have to be able to manage your cash effectively. Um, if you say, hey, I got extra cash, I'm gonna bonus everybody out, or I'm gonna take some and buy a new car or something like that. Well, you're setting yourself up for trouble later because you have to use that cash to perform on the job, right? So. Cash management is the number one, that's, that's number one uh, critical component there. The second is you take that money, you put it in the bank, 
and you put it on the balance sheet as a customer deposit liability. So your income statement is still all zeros. There's no revenue, there's no expenses yet, assuming that you have nothing else going on in your business. Uh, so you take the money, you put it on the balance sheet, uh, you put it in cash and you put, it's a liability. Now, the first month when I start working on the engagement, uh, I may be able to apply some of that deposit uh, and move that from the liability over to revenue based on the amount of work I've performed. Sorry, go ahead, uh, Bert. Yeah. The whip report. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, based, yeah, based, based on, on the, the whip, whip report. report. Right. right. So uh, now I have developed a whip report. And uh, based on the whip report, I know how much uh, revenue or how much, what my costs incurred were. I know the percentage complete that I am on the engagement and I can calculate the revenue. And so there, at that point, I can move over some of those funds from the liability over to revenue. Uh, the costs then uh, that were incurred are also in that month. And now you have a true picture of what happened that month as far as profitability on the engagement. And you can also manage, it helps you to manage cash flow. Um, cash flow can be managed separately, obviously, but especially in businesses, what we see all the time is cash, cash management is critical. Um, but now you have a good representation and your financials are a true picture of what's really happening in your business. Hmm. Yeah. No. Okay. That's super helpful. And then when is it, you know, let's, does it, how does it change as I finish the job? Anything mm -hmm. need to be, do you be changed as we finish out and close out the project? So when you close out the project, obviously, uh, you need to make sure if you have any excess deposit, it gets returned or paid back. Uh, that does not hit, uh, impact your, your profitability on the job. Uh, that's just simply returning a deposit, right? So it's not an expense to the company. Uh, you've already recorded all the expenses associated with the job. Um, if uh, uh, sometimes uh, there may be some true ups, uh, you know, you're estimating the cost complete, cost to complete percentage throughout the job. When you get to the end, uh, you may be a little bit off. Hopefully you're as accurate as possible. But when the job is final, final, you true it up uh, at that point. Um, but because you're managing that on a monthly basis, the, the true up should be nominal. And because you're managing that effectively on the WIP report, any adjustments throughout the job and what changes are happening, you're managing that. Um, and so you true up the job, you make sure that your invoicing, uh, is, is set up appropriately. That you've invoiced for any amounts that are left over. Um, or if you've received, uh, any cash in advance or in excess of, of what the job costs or, or job revenue should be, you have to pay that back. But none of that really impacts or should impact the income statement, right? So that's all kind of on the side. That's all part of the balance sheet. Um, the the income and the, the profitability and the cost of the job are very consistent month over month based on what you see happening. And the flow of cash has no impact on the revenue and the expenses of the job. Gotcha. Okay. And one last thing on this and Martin, I know you wanted to say something, but, um, effective strategies to like manage cash better in these situations when you get a cash deposit. Um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm very, um, unfamiliar here. So like things that come to my mind are just having an income account that is for deposits at your bank where deposits just go in there first and they don't go into your actual just checking account mm -hmm. where you see this big number and you think we can, oh, oh well, we can use it. And then slowly moving it from that deposits account as needed over to my checking or expense account, whatever you have. But any other strategies, maybe that's a terrible idea. Um, anything that you've seen work for people? I'll start and then Martin, I want to hear your thoughts too. Um, yeah, I think you, you can certainly do that. I think that if you're 
if you're closing your books every month, if you're managing your bit, if you're managing your financials in an appropriate way, you shouldn't have to set up a separate account to be able to track that. Um, so, so if you have good financials that you can trust and you have visibility, um, you have a good understanding of what, where your business is at that point in time. So that, that's the first, first item. The second is, uh, managing cash flow and cash flow forecasting is done outside of your basic financial statements. So you have your balance sheet and your income statement, what we talked about, but you have, you know, we have to be able to look into the future and understand what are our cash flows of our business. There's some cash flow tools out there. Uh, a lot of most, a lot of companies, most companies, especially in the smaller industry, will do it in Excel. There's, uh, I'd be happy to provide you with just a, a standard template that you can pass on to your listeners. Um, but the yeah, uh, idea is to be able to see at a minimum uh, three months in advance. It, you know, it's, we call it a 13 week cash flow. Beyond that, you, you're starting to guess a little bit and you're, you're not quite sure kind of, you know, how things are going to pan out. But if you're updating your cash flow forecast every week and you're always looking forward 13 weeks or one quarter of the year, basically, um, then you should have enough visibility to react to what changes may be happening in your business. And so those things need to be taken into consideration. You have, you received a customer deposit. Okay, well, we have that. We know we're going to incur those costs in three weeks over here. So let's make sure we account for that in our cash flow forecast in that column three weeks in advance from now so that we know, okay, we got this cash now. We know it's coming out in three weeks. We know what our balance should be at that point in time. Obviously, there's a lot of inflows and outflows, but you know, based on invoicing, uh, the, the timing of collections, you should have a good idea of what your industry is like in collections. In construction, it's unfortunately, it's a lot. It's unlike most other industries where uh, in construction, uh, nobody gets paid until the person before them gets paid, right? It's like, well, I'll pay you when I get paid, right? And that's the seems to be the the rule of thumb in construction, and and no other business is really like that. Um, but it it certainly helps businesses manage their cash better when they owe. Uh, but it's difficult when you have to wait ninety days to get to receive your invoicing. Um, so, but being able to manage that and understand that timing is critical. And if you can see that into the future, you should be able to have an understanding of the inflows and the outflows of your jobs and the expectations of what your, what your work is going to be performed to be able to really see and, and visualize what that is and, and ultimately make good decisions. Yeah. The only thing I uh, would add to that is, yeah, 13 week look ahead cash flows. They're always really hard uh, because you're predicting, I'm going to mm -hmm. receive this, I'm going to receive this, my payroll is going to be that. And some things like the phone bill and the rent you, are easy, but it's always hard. But the exercise of doing it causes you to think differently, causes you to develop instincts that, hmm, not going to do that. You know, I do have some cash, but there's a stress here. So it's an exercise mm -hmm. worth undertaking. And another place that I like to see people is they understand their current assets as a percentage of sales. Uh, inventory, which you can't do if you put your deposits in sales, but current assets as a uh, many of your receivables in your inventory as a percentage of your sales. There's some sophisticated things you can do, but there's some pretty simple things. Just look yeah. at it and say, uh, my month's sales always wind up. So if you're going to increase your sales by 100%, you're going to have to have twice as much cash to finance your accounts receivables mm -hmm. or your inventory. 
might be able to improve it, but that's the way to plan. Yeah. So yeah, if returns no, on your accounts receivable are 90 days, um, that means that when you invoice, you're not going to receive that cash for 90 days. You're, you're going to show revenue. Um, but to, to Martin's point, as you grow your business, you have to be able to fund that growth. And so understanding the, the, the collection process and understanding how to fund that growth. A lot of companies, that's their biggest challenge when they grow is, is running out of cash because mm-hmm. it's all hung up in AR or inventory, as, as Martin mentioned, and it's not in cash. Uh, even though you're, you're experiencing a lot of success and growth, it's, you're, you're in a cash crunch. And that's where having good financials in it and you are growing, you have opportunities even through banking relationships, through outside parties, if you have good financials, you can show that trend of growth much more likely to get that outside financing to help you finance that growth if you need it. That being said, if you manage your finances effectively, you can go as, you know, you can get pretty far without outside financing as well. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say one thing real quickly. Statement of cash flows is an obscure report. Most people have never heard of it. Once you get that and take a little, I've got a whole section on it in my book, hopefully it makes it easy to understand. Once you have that, it tells you exactly, exactly where every penny of yep. your cash went. And once you know that, you can do something yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. And, and but, I want to make sure that we're not anyway, confusing. A statement of cash flow and a cash flow forecast are two different things. Statement of, yeah, statement of cash things. flow tells yeah. you where your cash went historically. Um, and Historically, a cash forecast yeah. is looking into the future, but you can leverage that statement of cash flow to help you understand where your cash might be going in the future as well. Um, right. but yeah, so they're two very powerful tools that are the statement of cash flow, as you mentioned, or, and it can be very confusing to un- clearly understand. Um, the cash flow forecast should be pretty, is, is very clear. Okay, I got money coming in this week. I got money yeah. going out this week. I got money coming in, got money going out. And so it really helps you, if, if anything, to really understand your business in that level. So you had mentioned uh, inventory whenever you're, you know, where your cash can be tied up. And Martin, I know that you've talked a lot about inventory being one of the biggest challenges with finding a really good bookkeeper for a construction company is that it's challenging to track. It's challenging to have someone who knows can be inside your business and understand the inventory. I think our best example of managing inventory was uh, Michael Barnett of Barnett Electrical, which I'm sure there's several places that um, you can do this, but they've, they literally had RFID tracking on um, every single piece of inventory. Um, So when it was on, when it was taken off of a truck, that's when they were actually billed from the, the supply house. Um, so they partnered with a supply house to set all that up. They even had a cage that was literally consignment basically from the, uh, supply house inside of the warehouse at the, um, at their bit place of business so that if they pulled anything out of that cage as well to take to a job site, it got marked to that truck and that mm-hmm. truck was marked to that job. And so the inventory was correctly marked and categorized to the job. And when it was pulled off the truck, so basically they weren't having stolen inventory, but obviously that's really sophisticated. And that's probably the most accurate way I would think that you can get yeah. in real time. Right. 
but that's not the reality for most people. Why is inventory so hard to track? Why does it cause so many distortions? Let's get the rundown. Well, I'll start real quickly. The problem with inventories is opposite of a cash deposit, right? Most people take their inventory and expense it. I mean, they, they go buy a semi-load worth of conduit that's going to last them three months, but they just expense it. So they've got this big expense. So it's the opposite of a cash deposit. Mm. But I'll let you talk about why it's yeah. so hard to track. Because somebody's got to bring it in and somebody's got to check it out. And yeah. it's just hard to do. So there's that piece. And what I always say as well, you know, when I talk to a business owner and they say, hey, look at look at how, look at my income statement or look at my P&L. Look how, look how profitable we are. But I have no, where's all my cash, right? And, and I, I do two things. One, I say, okay, uh, is your, are your financials accurate? Okay. And a lot of times they may or may not be, but let's assume they are accurate. And they say, look at how profitable I, I am. Where's all my cash? And then I look at their AR and I look at their inventory and I say, okay, well, your AR is 90 to 120 days, meaning you're not collecting. So that is part of your cash. And the other is you have five months of inventory on your shelves. So you, you got your cash is on your shelves right? Your cash is sitting there in your warehouse, <laughs> uh, but you can't spend yeah. that cash because it's in, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's being used, it's assigned to jobs, let's say. So the, so managing inventory and the flow through of inventory is critical from a cash management perspective so that you're not, um, so you're not, in, you know, basically, so you're not spending, so you have cash flexibility. Um, and so being able to have some level of a tracking component, like your, your colleague or that you mentioned, Khalil, um, yeah. that is, that's amazing. When I hear that, I mean, I get excited about that, right? I mean, they're, they're tracking yeah. it. They, when they need it, they grab it. They have a process where their supplier actually puts them in consignment in their warehouse. I mean, that's fantastic, right? Um, so they don't even have to take ownership until they take it out of the cage. Um, and so something like QuickBooks is not going to allow you to really effectively track inventory. Um, there are inventory management tools. Um, there are, uh, you know, some of the tools I think that you mentioned may have that capability as well, Khalil. Um, sometimes sure. when the other challenge is you get so many different softwares and tools and components that are all trying to tie into each other that it, you know, it gets impossible to, to keep them all together. Um, and so you start right. bolting on a bunch of stuff and then, and then a few months later, your team is back to using Excel, right. And they're not, no one's using the system. Um, and so <laughs> yeah. I would say managing inventory to the minimum levels to allow you to be effective, but still to be, um, flexible is critical that that helps you to manage yeah. your cash flows. The other, as Martin mentioned from a financial statement presentation perspective is the inventory should not be expensed. It should go back on the balance sheet. Like we talked about deposits. It's an asset. You own it. It's an asset. It should not be expensed on your income statement until you actually use it on a job. Once you use it on a job, it then ultimately goes into the uh, total cost of the engagement and then back to your whip schedule, right? Now we're 40% complete. Okay. Now we can cost X amount, you know, 40% of the, of the contract price we can now record as revenue. 
And so that's why the web schedule is so important when we keep going back to it, because everything then goes and relates to that web schedule. Um, and if you are uh, even doing a web schedule and, and you're and you're buying inventory and it's for five months and you expense all of it, well, you, you have an inaccurate representation of percentage of completion. And so you, your, your state, your financials are misstatement as a result, misstated as a result. Yeah. Martin, what are you, you know, where do you see people normally coming in here and how do you resolve this, uh, these inventory distortions? Well, let me jump to Michael Barnett, who yeah. has the RFIDs. When I first met him <laughs> and he's on our podcast, so he doesn't mind I say this, he runs a multi-million dollar electrical contracting business. And I first met him, I said, do you have inventory? And he said, no. I said, okay, let's see the shop. So we went out to his 8,000 square foot shop and it was floor to ceiling inventory. I said, what's this? He said, well, that's stuff we bought. <laughs> well, 100, 150,000 or something like that. So, you know, no, no idea where they stood. Where, where do I see people? This is why we're, we're talking to Jason. Okay. Number one, here's my principle. Good books accurately reflected that show you margins and other information, uh, an accurate balance sheet, enable you, Mr. Business, Mrs. Business Owner, to make good decisions about managing your business. Without them, you, can't, you do not have the information to make good decisions. So it's critical. Number two, from having listened to this, it's complicated. Okay? I love this stuff. I bet Jason does too. And to me, I'm going, oh, come on, man. It's easy. Just take it out of there. That's an expense. Put it over here on an asset and we'll expense it. And, and then I have to know the QuickBooks clicks to do that or whatever software I'm using, not just the principle. I need to be able to do it. So it's really hard. And what happens is mostly it doesn't get done. And therefore, we go to the third leg of what I'm talking about. Critical, hard, get somebody who's capable to do it for you. Because you cannot, I'm going to say this blanket. You cannot thrive in business, especially something like contracting, thrive without good books. And so that's kind of the logical, you get somebody, uh, Jason's not the only guy in the world who does this, but you get somebody who can keep it for you and present it to you in a way that you can use it to make yeah. decisions. I'm going to add on to that too. It's, it's thrive and, and grow, right? I mean, Business owners and entrepreneurs, they get into a business because they want to grow and they have a goal of growing. Maybe they want to exit or sell or, you know, they want it to, they want it to be successful. And I see a lot of times companies, they can, they can get to a certain point managing it without, you know, understanding financial aspects of the business very well. But there always comes a point where you get stuck. And a big part of that is if you don't have clarity around cash flows about managing your, you know, your, the profitability of your, of your, your projects, the your overall business, um, it makes it near impossible to take that next step as a, as a business. Um, so you get to that point and you just keep running in that hamster wheel and you get frustrated and you can't get out of it. And having good financials, going back to point number one, you made, it will allow you to make good decisions. It gives you credibility. It gives you additional, uh, ability to bring in outside um, capital. It uh, allows you to really become more profitable and make decisions to become more profitable. Um, I mean, 
there is additional cost potentially. You know, a lot of times you have to, and, and I talk to our, our clients all the time about this is if you want to grow, you have to build the infrastructure in your business to support that growth. And so what you had as a $5 million company, you probably can't have as a 10 million or a 20 million or $30 million company. And that goes not only to accounting, but all aspects of your business. So if you started with a bookkeeper and you were 5 million, it's not reasonable to think that that same bookkeeper is going to be sufficient at 10 million or 20 million or 30 million. So there is some level of investment to sustain and to ensure the sophistication to grow. And Khalil, that's where you come in too. I mean, they're, they're invest, they have to start investing in sales and marketing to keep that up, to grow, right? I mean, that is an investment. Yeah. And so a lot of times we come in as an additional cost, potentially, to the client, but it's a cost they have to make, regardless if it's us or somebody else, or they hire a full-time person, they have to make that investment to, to, to see the results of what, the things that we've been talking about. And that's the key point is we can't come in, wave a magic wand, it'd all be cost neutral, um, you know, replace a low level bookkeeper and give, you know, and have it get all this great and fun and fancy and exciting stuff for free. But we can work with you to, as we mentioned, 1% on $10 million is a hundred grand, right? Right to the bottom line. Um, yeah. We, you know, not us, but a good financial CFO or controller should be able to get you information to see that and help you make decisions to, to determine how to improve that 1% or that 2%. And we do that on our business all, all the time. And 2% on our business is huge. It's so big. Mm-hmm. Um, and 2% on a lot of businesses is, is, is game changing. Um, and so that's, I think, the way to look at it. There has got to be an investment. Got to bring in Khalil, sales and marketing. And you got to invest in, you know, your accounting infrastructure to be able to have that visibility to take that next step. Well, well said. Um, I think this has been really valuable. I think one of the more tactical um, and in-depth financial episodes that we've done. Um, So hopefully it brought clarity for people. Um, I think that, you know, if, if people are struggling with this, it's, you know, Martin, you said that this is really challenging and it's often just avoided. Uh, but the obstacle is the way, and we've even talked about that many times before, right? Like if this, if you're really going to make that push, this is one thing that you can't, um, can't skimp on. So, uh, yeah, Jason, how can people get in touch with you? We'll put stuff in the show notes, but what, what can they do to get in touch? Yeah. Uh, our website is signatureanalytics.com. We, uh, if you go to our, actually our list of some, uh, four industries, construction is one of them. Uh, so that is a core industry that we focus on uh, quite a bit, uh, among others, obviously, but that's that's really a core. So you can click on that and get some more information there. Um, you can. I'm always happy if you want to reach out to me directly. My email is um, j, letter J, Kruger, K-R-U-G-E-R, at signatureanalytics.com. And our website is signatureanalytics.com. I think I forgot to mention. Um, and, you know, honestly, I like to talk to business owners and people that, um, and get to know you. And if anyone has any questions and if I don't know it or we don't know it, you know, I probably know someone who does and can point you in the right direction. So I'm happy to, if anyone wants to call me directly too, 858-228-5643. And uh, I just like to, to get to know business owners and, and see, see if we can, see if I can help them in any way. Excellent. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being on, Jason. Um, 
and maybe we'll stay in touch and have you on another time. Sounds great. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Cashflow Contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com.